my long-suffering parents put me through some piano lessons. Um, unfortunately, I wasn't that disciplined, so I gave up after two or three years. But, but one of the things my piano teacher taught me was, exactly, a glass full of water, this one's empty, on your hand, and I had to be able to play the piano without spilling any of the water. That took great discipline. <laughs> D- discipline is something which I think we value incredibly. We value it in ourselves when we see someone who is disciplined. We, we value the fact that our, our soldiers and the armed forces are, are disciplined people, that they won't go off on a rampage. That, I mean, their discipline is what keeps them alive quite often in places like Afghanistan or, or Iraq. Discipline is, is a good thing. We appreciate it. Um, isn't it wonderful when you see a family where the parents are good at disciplining their children and you, you look at them and you say, oh, how wonderful that must be to have obedient children. Not that any of you, I mean all of you here are in that case, I'm sure. Let's just pray. Father God, thank you so much that we could have sung your praises and worshipped your name. Lord, I pray that now as we come and we look at this topic of of discipline and the church and, and what you have to say, Father, would you say, would you speak? Lord, would, would it not be my words, but, but you speaking through me? And may we all listen and hear and put into practice. Amen. You know, it's quite an uncomfortable word, discipline, isn't it? Um, if you look at the front of your church bulletin, we've got this picture of a Russian, I think. And I've put the title on there, Church Discipline? Question mark. Is this the sort of image that we get when we think of, of discipline? And some of you might be sitting there think, thinking to yourself, oh, what an unpleasant sermon this is going to be. I wish I'd stayed home and had bacon and eggs for breakfast. I mean, a lot of us have got this idea that, that church discipline is this nasty, legalistic uh, kind of thing where, where it's just about judging somebody else and attacking them. But what I'd, li- what I'd like to suggest this morning is that that is not the type of discipline that God shows towards us and it's by no means the type of discipline that God calls us to exercise within the church and and outside of the church within our families and our, and our other relationships of authority. Because at the end of the day, for God, discipline is all about love. Which kind of makes sense because God is all about love. God is love himself, says John to us. And when God disciplines us, it's a sign of his love. If you've got your Bibles, just flick over to, to Hebrews um, chapter 12, verse 6, or, or verse 5 as well. Um, quoting over here, the, the writer to Hebrews says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. Do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Uh, turn over again to, to Revelation chapter 3. Uh, verse 19 says God to us, um, those whom I love, I rebuke and I discipline. 
when God speaks about discipline, He's speaking out of His love for us as His special, precious, chosen children. God's discipline is love. But so often that's not the kind of experience maybe we've had in the church. I mean, we are, we are sinful people, aren't we? And we still fall short of the glory of God. We're not yet like Jesus. Um, a few years back, I, I remember being told a story uh, of a pastor who was preaching on discipline. And he was saying how important it is that the church practices discipline. And, and halfway through his sermon, he stopped. He walked out and he said, uh, Mary Jane, Joe Bloggs, it's come to my attention that you two are having an affair. Uh, and hereby, would you leave the church? You are not welcome here anymore. In front of the whole church, they got up and they had to leave. I mean, is that church discipline? Well, it's discipline, but, but it's not God's discipline. It's not how God would have us behave. Because really... Discipline is one of God's greatest blessings. It's a gift that He has given us as His people. And I've got to say right from the get-go that, 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 that discipline in the church, believe it or not, is, is not at all unusual. In fact, I'd like to suggest that, that, that maybe 70-80% of what we do in the church is discipline. Uh, because there are really two types of discipline that the church is called to practice. Um, there's, there's formative discipline and there's corrective discipline. And, and formative discipline is, is all about us growing and, and being shaped and molded into disciples of Jesus Christ. It's about us being formed into the image of Christ. It's a work of the Spirit and it's a work of the church that He does through here. And, and I mean, we're formed into the person of Jesus as we sit here and we listen to a sermon. We, we, we have experiencing formative discipline as we sit in, in a Bible study and we learn more about what it means to, to be like Jesus. We, we have this kind of discipline when we are personally accountable to one another. When somebody comes to us and says, um, Joe Bloggs, do you realize that, that, that this is not in accordance with God's will? We're being formed and shaped. And we have this kind of discipline when when, when we take part in missions work, when we go to our neighbour and we, we share the gospel. I mean, this is just everyday Christian work, but, but as we seek God and we do His will, God moulds us and works in us and, and forms us to be like Him. It's, it's like the coffee cup in my hand. It's a kind of discipline. Teaching us what it means to be a Christian. So really most of the discipline in the church is meant to be a positive thing. It's meant to be a good thing. Um, 1 Thessalonians um, chapter 2, verse 1. Paul writes, For you know we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging you, comforting you, urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls us to his kingdom of glory. We disciplined you. Well, Hebrews 12.10, God says to us, 
uh, well, the writer of the Hebrews, God through him says to us, God disciplines us so that we may share in his glory. God forms us so that we may be like him. And that's most of the discipline that we have in the church, but, but unfortunately now and again we do need that other type of discipline, which is the one that we're more uncomfortable with probably, and I mean corrective discipline. But when we don't follow God as we ought, when we do sin against one another. And I believe that, that in situations like that, God also calls us to, to in love, resolve the problem. So that, I mean, our relationships can be restored, so that God's name would be honoured, so that we would be a united people of God, a, a strengthened church. And, and really, this is, this second type of discipline, this correction is what we're looking at in Matthew chapter 18, verses 12 to 35. Um, it's a pretty famous passage. In fact, if you read our, our riveting constitution of the church, if you want a copy, I've got one. It's, it's great bedtime reading. Um, it's actually in our constitution. As a church, this is the process we will follow, which is good because it's the process God gives us to follow. But you know, typically... In my experience, when, when we think about how do we go about this process of correction, most of us go to Matthew 18 and we jump straight into verse 15. If your brother sins against you, then do this and this and this. But that's the wrong place to start when we ask, how do we bring about correction in the church towards a brother or a sister? Because the context which, which Helen read for us is, is a context of love. And we've got this, this first story at the beginning of, of this loving shepherd who, who goes after the one sheep that has strayed and, and he's so keen to bring this sheep back and to restore it back into the flock, into the herd. Flock, herd? What is a collection of sheep? Flock? Okay. And just the joy of the shepherd when the sheep is restored. The, the, the message being that, that God loves it when someone who has gone astray comes back and is restored into the community of his people, into the church. And we've got at the other end of, of, of the typical section in Matthew on, on, on correction and discipline, we've, we've got a similar kind of story about a servant who owes much to his master and the master forgives him. The message there being that just as God has forgiven us of many sins that we have committed against him, so too we should forgive others who wrong us. Mercy and love. I mean, that, that's what church discipline is all about. Love and mercy. First of all, at the end. So if we've got that right, we can then move on to, to verse 15 through to 21. Um, there's, there's five steps that we need to take. First step is we need to go and we need to correct somebody privately. Uh, we've looked at this in, uh, in, in some detail during the week in the Bible study. 
but just imagine that somebody in the church has offended you greatly, has sinned against you in the words of Jesus. What do you do? It's really tempting, isn't it, to just do nothing, to ignore it, to, to just pretend that it hasn't happened. And sometimes that is the good and godly thing to do. I mean, uh, 1 Peter 4.8, uh, Peter tells us to love each other deeply because love uh, covers over a multitude of sins. I mean, overlooking somebody sinning against us is a sign of maturity, but, but as we saw during the week of the Bible study, sometimes the the, the, the sin against us is so serious that we just can't overlook it. Maybe the sin is something which is really bringing God's name into disrepute in, the, in our community. Maybe it's something that is just eating away at us. And every time we see that person, we, you know that feeling, have you ever had that, where, where you just want to give them a few jabs and, and see them fall on the ground? If you feel like that, you can't overlook it. It's serious. It's a big deal. And Jesus says here in verse 15, if your brother has sinned against you, go to him. Go to him or her. Show the fault. Talk over the situation. Just between the two of you and, and look, if that person hears you and takes it in, brilliant. You've won that person over. You've, you've restored peace to the community. we we are again the united people of God. And yes, ideally, you'd go straight away to the person and talk to them, but, but maybe it's not something personal. Maybe you've just seen somebody else's sin. They haven't sinned against you, but you've seen how they have sinned against God or against somebody else. Again, go to them, I believe, and say, brother or sister, let's talk about this. And I think it's great that this is done in private. And that pastor I told you about who just in the front of the church blurted out this thing. You do something in private. Uh, we don't have to embarrass somebody. It's wonderful. I mean, our aim is not to get them, but, but our aim is to in love restore them into the church, into what it is to live a right life. I mean, ideally it's sorted then, but, but sometimes it doesn't resolve then, does it? And then we need to go on, take step two of, of taking one or two other people along with us. I mean, it would be easy if they don't listen to us one-on-one -on -one to start gossiping about them. And to go and tell everyone, um, Sarah, have you heard about Mary Jane over there? She's done this and this and this. Clark, have you heard about Mary Jane over there? She's done this and this and this. And, 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 and that's not the way of the gospel. It says, Jesus, if they don't listen to you one on one, go and take a brother or a sister, two people along, and, and again, speak to them about the sin that they've committed against you. And I'd like to suggest that, that, that the people we take along with us in that sort of situation should be godly people who are not on our side. We're not taking people along to, to gang up on the person. We're taking people along to, to provide 
you know, sort of a, a greater witness to the person that this is something serious. And it's not always easy to, to go to somebody, is it? I mean, even if you take along two or, two or three people with you, it's not easy to go to somebody and say, my brother, my sister, you have sinned against me. But it is so important because if we do nothing, nothing will change. And we will see our brother or our sister continue in their sin. And that sheep, one out of a hundred, will get further and further away. Hebrews 12.11 says, look it up if you get a chance, it says that there's no discipline that is pleasant, but, but it bears a, a harvest of, of righteousness and peace. It's not nice, but we have to do it. So first step, go privately. Second step, if that doesn't work, take along a couple of other godly people with you. The third step says, Jesus, maybe that still doesn't work. And people might say, right, at this stage we give up. Nothing's going to change. What's the point of trying anymore? This person's stuck there. But Jesus says to us, verse 17 of Matthew 18, if he refuses to listen to these two or three people, tell it to the church. Some of you might be sitting here and saying, right, I've done this, I'm, I'm having a fight with Joe Bloggs, I've spoken privately, I've brought along two or three wise people, we've spoken. What's the next step? Uh, I'll go to the pastor and the elders and we'll send them along. But that's actually step two. Take two or three people along. Step three says Jesus, take it to the church. To us, to, to all of us sitting here this morning. I mean, the fact of the matter is that we together are, are a priesthood of believers. When we are together in this place, we are here to, to not only worship God, but also to, to discern the mind of God, to, to, to speak on God's behalf for each other. And says, Jesus, take it to the church. Let's discuss it as a, as a people of God and we'll come to some sort of decision, we'll come to a resolution, we'll go to the person, we'll say, as a church we have looked at the situation, please brother or sister, we believe you are in sin, can you do something about it? Will you repent? Will you turn to God and be saved? And some of you will sit here and you say, oh, Nicholas, you are nuts. That's not what church is about. We don't come to church to discuss discipline. We don't come to church to discuss Joe Bloggs over there or Mary Jane who, whatever, whatever they're doing. But you know, it actually is what we're on about. I mean, we're, we're called to be a community of, of people who worship God and praise His name, but, but we're also called to be a community of love where we can disciple one another. And part of that is being able to stand up and say, my brother or sister, you need to change. 
I mean, that's what the Gospel is all about, isn't it? It's, it's, it's the Gospel of Jesus Christ that says you are no longer the person you were. The old is dead. The new person has come in Christ. And as Christians, our responsibility is to tell others the good news, but also to tell it to each other. Live as the person you have been made. Again, we need to do it in love. <laughs> if it's not in love, it's dangerous territory. Um, you go into my study, there's, I've mentioned it a few times, I've got a, a quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer on the wall. And he says there, cheap grace is the deadly enemy of the church. It is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance and without church discipline. The grace of God is not cheap. It's cost Jesus Christ so much to die for us. And we make a mockery of that if when we see a brother or a sister in sin and we do nothing. That's not grace. That is, that is a cheap imitation of grace. God calls us to more. So step one, go privately. Step two, take two or three other godly Christian people. Step three, bring it to the church if that still isn't resolved. Step four, if a person sits here and says, the whole church is telling me that I'm not living in accordance to God's will. I'm still not going to do anything different. Step four says Jesus, if he refuses to listen even to the church, treat him, treat her as you would a pagan or a tax collector. That sounds so harsh to us, doesn't it? But, but, but really what, what Jesus is, is saying is He's not saying that we need to treat somebody as a second class person. He's, he's not saying that we need to pass judgment over the person and say, you are unsaved. Be gone. What Jesus is speaking about here is the church issuing a warning to the person who refuses to listen to the church. Um, St. Augustine, one of my favourite saints, said, he cannot have God for father who does not have church for mother. I mean, as the church of God, we are here speaking for Christ. Jesus Christ is with us when the church comes together and says, we believe this is what God is saying. And if somebody refuses to listen to that, we seriously need to say to them, well, are you listening to God? Where do you stand with God? And we will treat you as a pagan or a tax collector. In other words, we will treat you as though you still need to make the decision to follow Jesus because at the moment you're not. Uh, there was a, a story that came out of the U.S. a couple of years back of a, of a church, again, bad discipline, who, who excommunicated a member. And she came back to church the following week. Pastor went into his study, picked up the phone, called the police, said, would you get this woman out of our church? She's not allowed to be here. We've excommunicated her. That's not what Jesus is on about. When Jesus saw the tax collectors and the pagans, he didn't call the police and say, lock them up. He went and he had dinner with them. 
He spoke with them. He chatted with them. And all the time he, he preached to them and he said, would you turn and would you follow me? Would you become a follower of, of me, a disciple of me? And, and look, some of us might be sitting here going, this is really difficult stuff, Nick. I, I don't know if, if, if we as a church have the right to pass that sort of judgment over somebody. What, what says that we as a group of believers can, can say to somebody, are you right with God? Well, look what Jesus says in verses 18 to 20. He says, I tell you the truth, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I tell you, if two or three of you on earth agree with anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I with you. It's actually interesting, this, what Jesus says to us here as the church, as the community of believers is almost word for word exactly what he says to Peter when he says, Peter, you are the rock on which I will build the church and I give you authority. And Jesus, all he's done here is he's changed the, the you, singular Peter, to you, all of you. Whatever you bind will be bound. Whatever you decide will be decided. And I think the key is verse 20. It's not about us as a church coming and voting and saying, right, we're going to vote to excommunicate Joe Bloggs over there. It's not about us deciding or us judging. It's about us coming together as the people of God to discern the mind of Jesus Christ. I mean, verse 20 says to us, wherever two or three of you are gathered, there am I with you. Our job as the church is, is to try and figure out what Jesus is saying. Our job is to speak for Jesus. And isn't it inter- interesting, just as an aside, we, we usually just quote verse 20 out of context and say, yeah, wherever two or three of us are here, Jesus is here. But, but really the context here is of discipline. It says Jesus, when you are busy deciding a dispute, whenever you are doing this correction as a body of believers, there I am with you. He is with us all the time as well, but, but in particular, He is here with us. Step, five, well, step one, two, three, go privately, take along some more, bring it to the church. As a church, if that doesn't work, uh, treat the person as, as a sinner who needs to repent. Step five, Step five, forgive. As Christ has forgiven us. I mean, so often by the time we get through all these four steps, there's a bitterness that grows in our own hearts. And even if the person comes back, maybe years later and says, uh, I admit that I need to repent for the wrong that I have done. Maybe we won't want to accept it. Maybe the hurt that they've caused us is just too big. 
And I love Peter's question. It's such a Peter question. Lord, it's so good to hear this lesson on discipline. Now give me some boundaries. How often should I forgive somebody? And I can imagine the sort of Jesus shaking his head and saying, Peter, friend, <laughs> not seven times, 77, 70 times seven, depending on how you translate it. In other words, just, just do it. Don't bother counting, just, just forgive. Be like the servant or be like God who forgives even though the debt is incredible. Be like God because God has forgiven you. What am I trying to say today? I'm, I'm, I'm trying to well, throw down a challenge to us as a church. To, to deal with, with one another the way that Jesus would have us deal with one another. And maybe this, this word discipline is a, well, it's not a nice word. It's got all sorts of bad connotations for us. But that's what it means to be the children of God. That's what it means to be the church. If all we do is come together on a Sunday and sing songs and then go away and ignore the sins that we see in each other's lives, we are not the church. We are wasting our time and we shouldn't bother. Because God is jealous for His holiness and He has called us to be holy people. And if we truly love our brothers and our sisters, we will seek to restore them. Let me just share with you one verse from James, chapter 5. If I can find it. James, chapter 5, verse 19. My brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring him back, you follow Matthew 18. Remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save that person from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Let it